Amen. Good evening and welcome to Tribe. Um, if this is your first time um, on this channel, we want to specially welcome you. This is uh, God's Favorite House Midweek uh, Bible Study. Um, we are tagged Tribe. Um, we believe that you are not here by coincidence and God is doing amazing things in our midst and he would um, reach out to you too, wherever you are connecting from on the face of the earth and your life will not be the same again in Jesus' name. Amen. So yes, today we are continuing on our series, Hebrews. They were looking at, we're looking at the book of Hebrews. We've had an, a fantastic time, a fantastic journey together. So um, if you just joined in, you could go back and watch um, the previous teachings. They've been mind-blowing and very exciting. So as usual, I, I will read the, the entire chapter and begin to take out um, snippets and pockets of truths. I mean, it's loaded. We will not be able to um, cover everything word for word, you know, in verbatim from um, um, verse, first verse to last verse. But by God's grace, um, we were inspired to share um, some main points that would help us and, and, and transform our lives in Jesus' name. Say amen. Amen. So I will read Hebrews 8 um, from verse 1 to... Um, verse 13 the entire chapter in the nlt version of the bible okay so it says here is the main point we have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic god in heaven there he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle the true place of worship that was built by the lord and not by human hands that was built by the Lord, not by human hands. This, this suggests to me that there's, there's a tabernacle where we would worship when we leave this, um, this, uh, this earth and we will worship God. That's the same tabernacle that was built by God, not by human hands. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must offer an offering too. If we were here on earth, he would not even be a priest since there already are priests who offer the gifts required by the law. The seven is a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. There you go again. So everything that happens here in terms of our worship is a shadow, it's a copy of the real thing, the cocoa, you know, that is in the heavens above. Amen. It says, for when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. Moses went up to the mountain to meet with God. And God showed him a pattern of what the tabernacle, the place where Israel will meet with God, what it will look like. He gave him like a blueprint, you know, a scope of how he should build the place of worship amongst humans. So, but now... 
Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, <laughs> he said, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah, this covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant. So I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this new covenant, everybody say this new covenant. This new covenant I will make with the people of Israel. And by extension, you that's watching right now, if you are a believer, even if you are yet to be a believer, it's our prayer that by the end of this service, you would have had the conviction to become one that is called by the name of the Lord. And he says, when you do, this covenant becomes your own. And this is the covenant, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. It will be our God and we will be his people. It says, they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness. And I will never again remember their sins. I mean, if we stop here, we've had enough, we can go home. God is saying to you and I, he will blot out everything. Wipe your slate clean. He will never again remember your sins. That's just amazing. And when God speaks a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete it is now out of date and will soon disappear. Now, I have my main talking points um, for this night, for this evening, this evening service. But well, it's just so, so refreshing to know that God is saying to me that there's no, there's no way, no way my old will be called. When I stand before God, God doesn't see me with my old, the old Richard. God sees a new Richard, a, a, a renewed Richard, a redeemed Richard. That's how God sees you. God doesn't see your filth. He doesn't see your guilt. He doesn't see your condemnation. And that's just, I mean, if that's all you hear tonight, if that's all that comes into your spirit tonight, then you're, you're sorted. God doesn't see you and see your limitations. He doesn't see you and, and see the names that your father, your earthly father or your earthly mother has called you. He doesn't see you and see the tag that your friends have tried to put upon you. God sees you spotless. He sees you, I mean, without any flaw. Hallelujah. So, when, when this um, uh, script, uh, chapter started in verse 1, it says, here is the main point, you know, or like, like the, um, the, the Living Bible Translation puts it, you know, I like to look at different versions of the Bible. It says, what we are saying is this, you know, it's like the author is saying, we have come to a checkpoint in this journey, let me see if you have been following the gist you know, we've gone through chapter one to chapter to, uh, through from chapter one to chapter seven. Let me see if you have got the essence of these past seven chapters. It seems like that's what the author is saying. It's like the author is saying, you know, you know, the, the, uh, there's something I want you to get from what I've been saying to you. And like like we said, we've agreed that it's Apollos that's the author. Apollos was saying, what this is the gist. 
So, so what is the gist or the cocoa, like our people will say, what's the cocoa? You know, it is that Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our high priest. He is in heaven at the place of the highest honor next to God himself and is ministering in the heavenly tabernacle, which is the true place of worship that wasn't built by human hands but by God himself. Here on earth, man has a tabernacle. Man ministers to God by the high priest, ministers to God by offering sacrifices to God. That is exactly what Jesus is doing in the heavenly tabernacle. To better appreciate what Jesus has done, we need to remind ourselves about the duties of the high priest, you know, of the ancient Israel. What were the duties? You know, I, I won't list out all of them. I just want to list out a two, you know, maybe three. The most important one I will list out as well. It's the, the, the high priest assumed the, the, the responsibility of leadership, you know, in the temple. And that means that they were in charge of uh, overseeing the responsibility of all the other priests in the temple. So um, uh, the, the, the Levites were called to priesthood, you know, and they all had their different um, roles and responsibility from preparing of the sacrifices to killing of the animals, you know, and on and on and on. But the high priest oversaw everything that they were doing. Secondly, the, the high priest was the one who wear the, the Urim and, and Tumin. You know, the Urim and Tumin was like a, a vest that um, the, the, the high priest will wear, you know, to determine truth or falsity. So, uh, typically, the people will go to the high priest to know the will of God, to know if this thing is true or if this thing is a lie or what they should do per time. So, guess what will happen if the high priest was having a good a, a bad day, your guess is as good as mine. If the high priest was having a bad day, like in the case of Caiaphas, who was the high priest in the time of Jesus, you already know that that will of God will be mixed with human emotions, you know. Or think about um, Aaron. When Aaron led the people from, um, from, from Israel, I mean, as the high priest in time, Moses led them, but Aaron was the serving high priest. Once of, when Moses didn't come back from, from the mountain on time and Aaron was exasperated, he, he made calves. He helped them make calves and said, Behold, your, your God has led you out of, of Israel. <laughs> you know? So, yes, they had the Urim and, Urim and Tumim, but because the high priest was a man, flawed, his, his own emotions at times could be mixed with hearing from God, so to speak. You know, and Exodus... Um, 30 verse 10 in the NLT reads, once a year, Aaron must purify the altar by smearing his horns with blood from the offering made to purify the people from their sin. It says this will be a regular annual event from generation to generation for this is the Lord's most holy altar. So God gave Moses again, like we said, a, a, a blueprint of how the high priest was to um, conduct himself when they come into the tabernacle. So from this verse, a high priest in that time, you know, the high priest's most important assignment was to conduct a service on the day of atonement. That was his most important assignment. That was the assignment that could not be done by any other priest. The high priest had to conduct the, the, the sacrifice, you know, on, on the day of atonement, what the Jews would call 
um, the Yom Kippur uh, in, in modern day. It was the only one allowed to enter into the most holy place behind the veil and stand before God as a mediator between God and man. How be it, this um, service had its own limitations. There were limitations to that service. And we, we, would, we would look into them as, as, we, as we go along. So um, the, the high priest, one of the limitations is the fact that the, the high priest would first make a sacrifice for himself, you know, before he made a sacrifice for the people. That means he, 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 will, he will take the blood of the sacrificial animal and he will sprinkle on himself first, you know. Then he will sprinkle, you know, on the Holy of Holies, sprinkle on the mercy seat, you know, to make an atonement, to say, God, we are sorry, you know, for himself and all the people, you know, for the sins that they committed all through the year, because he did it like the um, Exodus 30, 10 scripture says, once a year. So they will come, they will pile up their sins. Then once in a year, they will go and the high priest will come, you know, lead the people and say, God, we are sorry by going through this ritual. So the question is, why did he make a sacrifice for himself? Why did the high priest make a sacrifice for himself? Because as the high priest, he was subject to the same frailties that the people were subject to. Maybe slightly better than them. Maybe a lot better than them. But he also had his own frailties. So if the people were struggling with lies, Baba High Priest can, can be struggling with lies as well. If they're struggling with cheating, he too could be struggling with cheating. If they're struggling with jealousy or envy or lust or covetousness, whatever it is, he too was most likely suffering from one of these frailties because he was in flesh. He was a human being. So if you can appreciate this, you can better appreciate that what Jesus, our eternal high priest, is doing for us even right now, if you can appreciate this. Because Jesus didn't suffer from any frailties. His own, his own sacrifice was not flawed. It's a perfect sacrifice. It says that the sacrifice requires blood and the earthly priest had to kill um, a, a bullock and a scapegoat. Escape goats and 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 in order to take out the blood and then sprinkle it, you know, on the mercy seat and all over the the the, the, um, the holies of holies. But but that wasn't sufficient. It wasn't sufficient. According to Leviticus eleven seven, I want you to. I mean, I find this chapter, um, this scripture, very exciting. Every time I read it, it says, "For the life of a flesh is in the blood." And I've given it to you to make atonement for your lives on the altar. For as life, for as life, it is the blood that makes atonement. This tells me that blood is, I mean, every sacrifice requires blood. It says that your life, the life you live right now, is in your blood. If, as a human being, your blood, God forbid, was to leak out completely for any reason, your life ceases to exist. It's your essence. So the life in the flesh is in the blood, and that blood is to be given to make an atonement upon the altar. So like verse 1 was saying, this is the cocoa, the main gist. Number one, the high priest brought blood of animals which signifies the life of that animal to make an atonement, Right? Jesus, the eternal high priest, brought, brought his own blood, his own blood, which signifies his life to make an atonement. 
the high priest brought the blood of an animal. Jesus brought his own blood. He says the life in the flesh is in his blood. Jesus says, yes, my own blood to make an atonement. As in the highest kind of sacrifice ever. With the purest blood upon the, upon the altar of Calvary. Hallelujah. That should be exciting for you. He says, the earthly priest made a sacrifice for himself first. And then the people every year. That's like an annual subscription. <laughs> Jesus made a sacrifice of himself for the people, like an eternal subs subscription. He didn't have to do it year in and year out. It's like the Bible says, to be like crucifying Jesus over and over and over again. He made an eternal subscription, the kind of subscription that God will always look at and he will honor the cost. Hallelujah. So, I mean, you're, you're seeing the cocoa now. The gist is hot. And, 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 um, and David understood what it means when, when someone gave everything as a cost, like Jesus gave everything as a cost. David was saying in, in, in um, 2 Samuel 24, verse 24, that he cannot give a sacrifice that cost him nothing. He can't give a sacrifice that cost him nothing. Jesus said, I am that sacrifice that cost everything. That sacrifice that cost everything. It's like the the beginning and the end of sacrifices, the full stop of, of all sacrifices. So we don't need to look further for any other kind of sacrifice. Wow. So what about the people that take chickens and take goats and go to one altar and say, Baba said we should bring, you know, come and make one sacrifice so that the, the child will not have conversion anymore. If you know a family member or you are tormented, you that's watching stumbled upon this channel because we in God's way we are fired up on a different level. And, you have, and this has been your story. You've been going from altar to altar to altar to altar, from mountain to mountain. You have found your solution. Jesus is the sacrifice that cost everything. God doesn't need any other sacrifice apart from Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the significance of of this is that every time God looks upon us, every time God looks upon us, every time he, he, he looks upon us, he looks on, 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 on the blood of Jesus. He looks upon the blood of Jesus. And what? guess what? God doesn't see any record. He sees no record. Because when he looks upon us, all he can see is the blood of Jesus and he sees no record of your past sins, no record of any kind of, 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 of debts, no record of any kind of debts. You know, and Pastor was sharing his experience, you know, on Sunday with the, with the cops. If you are if you are watching from anywhere, I mean, maybe in the West, of course you call it cops. Yeah, it's police or lock power. That's what we deal with. And of course, if you have any questions, please, as we've gone, uh, I've gone, I mean, pretty much halfway, please send in your questions. Try this an interactive session. We love to receive your questions and and try to get answers, you know, from the word. And of course, Pastor should come in at some point. So. Uh, I mean, we have we have backups, so to speak. So, Pastor was sharing his experience um, on Sunday about how the cops pulled him over, and he said the cop took a while. I'm sure the cop was checking his computer to see, you know, uh, you know, if this guy had any record for a guy that pulled his recklessness just now. Does he have any, Is this a norm for the guy? And the guy, you know, came back and said to Pastor, "I can't see any past record of wrongdoing." In this context, you know, I, I, can't, I can't see any record, you know. In, in Pato's context, he can't contest. He couldn't see any record of reckless driving. In this context, 
God can't see any record of our wrongdoing. The, the, the cop said to pastor, and I will not be the one to give you a record. God is saying, I'm not the one to give you a record. Why? Because I'm the one that sacrificed my son for you to not have a record. The cop said, I will give you a pardon. God said, I have pardoned you. Hallelujah. So when God looks upon me, Richard Obama, when he looks upon you, he sees no record. You might be there criticizing me. You, you, might, you might have a grouse with me. God doesn't see it. He doesn't see it. Now, it's not a license for me to be reckless, but God doesn't, God doesn't see it. He sees no record of your cheating. He sees no record, you know, of your lying, no record of your lusting, no record, no record. He only sees the blood that was upon the cross of Calvary. Now, that, that might sound like, is, this, is, this is unbelievable. Listen, the integrity of God's word is intact. The integrity of God's word is intact. God's word does not fail. If he says he sees no record, God sees no record. Hallelujah. And the pastor, the, 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 the pardon pastor God made, made pastor align. And this is the part that we need to get. That God doesn't see any record, right? Like the, 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 the cop didn't see any record and gave pastor a, a, a pardon. What did pastor do? What did he do? He aligned. He said he aligned. He, he changed. He he, he, he he left that encounter a changed man in that context. Responsible on the road. Not, 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 not reckless. So what Jesus has done for us is not a license for us to binge on sin. This sacrifice that costs everything is not a license for you to say, okay, you know what? Ah, come on. He has won everything. Okay, jamboree. No, it's not a license for sin. What he has done ought to provoke a response from us, a response of acknowledgement and surrender. We ought to acknowledge that Jesus gave it all for me. And so I must surrender. I must surrender my heart. I must surrender my old ways. I must surrender the lusting, the cheating, and the lying, and on and on and on. Hallelujah. So the point is that our slate, yes, is wiped clean. Our past, our present, and future sins are forgiven, and God shows us pardon. It is not a license for recklessness. Our past, present, and future sin has been forgiven. Our slate has been wiped clean. God has shown us pardon, but that is not a license for recklessness. Our encounter ought to align us to be responsible on this sojourn to eternity. Because if we keep breaking the traffic rules, <laughs> we may pay. We may pay. We may pay the penalty. So I imagine if Pastor had left that place and after the cop had pulled him over and given him pardon, he just you know slammed it again, zero to boom, <laughs> freaking. <laughs> we had the pop up, and this time said, didn't I just give you a pardon? That means you are asking for it. May God never say to you and I. You are asking for it in Jesus' name. So, amen. Amen. So, God's grace is sufficient, yes. But guess what? The grace is sufficient for you to be responsible. How about that? You that says the grace is sufficient, and then you use it for binging. No, no, no. God's grace is sufficient for you to become responsible. That's a better equation. You know? So, if the first covenant, Hebrews 8, uh, verse 7, I read verse 7 and 8 right now, you know, to bring out another point. So the first point we have brought out is the fact that Jesus 
the high priest has paid it all. Nothing more is needed. It is the full cost that you will ever need to pay. Don't let anybody confuse you going forward. So, verse 7 and 8, it says, If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with these people, this is the first time I've actually seen it. I actually used to think that it meant when God found fault again with the covenant. You know, He says, when God found fault with these people, with the people, he said, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. So, two things are at play yet. Number one, the covenant was faulty. And number two, man on their own was faulty. What's the solution? God says, you know what? Give them a new covenant. The first covenant is faulty. So give them a new covenant. Man is faulty. Give man a new heart. God has a solution to everything. Isn't God just amazing? First covenant, faulty. He could have left it. God doesn't build on mistakes. No. God never builds on mistakes. He said, the first covenant is faulty. I created the covenant myself. I will change it. Give them a new covenant. Man was faulty. You know what? I made them. He says, before you were forming your mother's womb, I know your inward parts. I, your, the intricate parts of you were before me. He says, give them a new heart. The heart is the problem. Give them a new heart. The heart of man is, is, is deceitful. Give them a new heart. Ezekiel 36 verse 26 in the Living Bible, I love this translation. It says, I will give you a new heart. Say, 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 say I will give you a new heart. It says, I will give you new and right desires. New and right desires. A new heart equals to new and right desires. New heart equals to new and right desires. It says, I will put a new spirit within you. I will take out your stony heart. The one that was not able to keep that old covenant. God says, I'm taking it out and I will give you a new heart of love. The one that loves, that, that loves to do and align with the new covenant. The one that acknowledges and surrender. The message version puts it this way. They say, I will put my spirit in you and make it possible. It is God who wills, who makes it possible. Not by your power and not by your might. He says, for I will make it possible for you to do what I tell you and live by my commands. This is deep. God says, I will make it possible. So, if you are struggling in trying to serve God, that means you are not surrendering. You are trying to do it by your own power. It is God that makes it possible for you to serve him. After all, he said, I, I, I chose you. You couldn't have chosen me. I will make it possible. I surrender to you, Lord. So, he says, I will make it possible. God was saying about the old covenant that the old covenant couldn't, I mean, the old covenant couldn't do a lot of things. I'll just list out a few things with Bible references. This is um, Tribe. It's Bible studies. I'm going to give you assignment. I'm going to give you Bible references for you to go look at yourself. Like um, Acts 17, 11 says, that's our favorite scripture in the teen church, that the people of, of Berea, they were honorable people. They listened enthusiastically, right? And they went back to do their own research to see if all that Paul was teaching was the right thing. So the first thing that the old covenant couldn't do was the old covenant couldn't justify us. Romans 5.1, 1 
and Romans, uh, Galatians 2.16. The old covenant couldn't justify us. The old covenant couldn't redeem us. Galatians 3.13 and 14. It couldn't redeem us. Jesus hung on the tree, the scripture says. He hung on the tree to redeem us and bring us into the Abrahamic covenant. The old testament, the old covenant, pardon me, couldn't do it. The old covenant couldn't free us from, from the sin or death. It couldn't. Romans 8 verse 2 says that the power of the life-giving spirit has freed us from that sin that leads to death. The old covenant couldn't do that. The old covenant could not free us from condemnation. Romans 8.1, there is therefore no condemnation for you and I that are in Christ Jesus. The old covenant could not do that. The old covenant could not give us the inheritance that God had reserved for us. Romans 4.13-14, to the old covenant could not do that. The new covenant did that. The old covenant could not free us from the curse that Adam brought upon humanity. Galatians 3.10, it says because Jesus made himself a curse and he hung on the tree for you and I. The old covenant could not do that. The old covenant could not keep us from sin. Romans 8.7, the old covenant cannot keep you and I from sin. And of course, it couldn't impact the Holy Spirit upon us. Galatians 3, 2. The old covenant could not impact us with the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, we, man, was faulty because man needed more than his self-will. Man needed more than his self-will to be able to adhere to his own part of this agreement. God said, you know what, man, I will fix it. You need more than your self-will, I will fix it. So what did God do? God gave us the new covenant to redeem us. He redeemed who? As many as will believe on the basis of God's grace. As many as will believe on the basis of his grace. Not on the basis of our do's and our don'ts, but on the basis of God's grace. Because our self-will cannot save us. So if you have been following the um, 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 Fresh Fire, I mean, if, if, if you're, if you're um, a member of God's prayer, that is, you should have been following the Fresh Fire. Pastor has been talking about, I mean, this, I mean, in, in details. Today we talked about freed, you know, and you will understand this better. It says, you know, since this covenant requires to be sealed by blood, God says, you know what, I will use the, the blood of my own son, Jesus, to make it perfect. I will fix it by using the blood of my own son to give you a covenant that supersedes the old covenant. Hallelujah. He's done it for us. So what, what should we look at? What, what are we taking from this? Number one, God's law is embedded in our hearts. We don't need a set of written laws on a scroll for this. The message version says that this new plan I'm making with Israel isn't going to be written on paper. It's not going to be written on paper. It's going to be chiseled in stone. It's not rather. It's not going to be chiseled in stone. The time is coming. I will write out the plan in them, carving it on the lining of our hearts. God said, "The new heart that is given unto us." Guess what? It also comes, you know, with an added, the law that we were trying to follow, the 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 plan we we're trying to follow, the teachings we we're trying to follow in a book. He says that I will inspire it in your heart. I mean, that is so refreshing. He says, I will be their God. He will be our God. So, I'm going to quote something Pastor um, um, wrote in the devotional today, you know, to 
to bring this home. Pastor said, what am I saying? In essence, if you try, if you try to live your life on do's, it will not work. If you and I try to live our lives on do's, it will not work. Hebrews 7, 18 and 19, it says the old system was cancelled because it didn't work. The old covenant was cancelled because it didn't work. It was weak and useless for saving people. It never made anyone really right with God. But now we have a far better hope. Everybody say far better hope. For Christ makes us acceptable. Christ makes us acceptable to God. So you and I are acceptable to God, and that is huge. I, Richard Obama, with, with all my frailties of the past, with all that I have done, I'm acceptable to God. What more can I wish for? It says we are free to live a new life in the freedom of God. So number one, God embedded his laws in our hearts so that we don't need a set of written laws to set us straight anymore. Number two, God will be loyal to us. God will be loyal to us. God will be loyal to us and he wants us to be loyal to him as well so that we can have that relationship that he always wanted to have with Adam when he will come back, come down in the cool of the evening. God will be loyal to us. And what is the resultant effect, the resultant effect of these things that God has done, these new, these new covenants and new ways God has done? What's the resultant effect? Number one, everyone will know God as their Lord. Everyone. It says the old, the young, the male, the female, black, white, everyone will know God as their Lord. The, the most unlikely and the distinguished, they will know God as their Lord. Everyone. You know, you won't need to go to a priest anymore and say, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Why? Because you will know God as your Lord. You, you won't need anyone to, to talk to or help you beg your God. You will know God as your God. You will know, when, when you mess up, you'll be able to go, you, you, you'll be able to, go to him um, in conviction and, 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 and ask for repentance. I mean, ask for forgiveness by in conviction and he will answer you because he says, I will be your God. And of course, he's taking you as his own child. Hallelujah. So not only will we know him, there'll be an inner witness inside of us by the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that he's our God. And God said in verse 12, even as we round up now, that I would demonstrate my mercy I will forgive them. He says he will forgive us and he will forget all our sins. God is saying he will demonstrate his mercy. He will forgive us. He won't just stop at forgiving us. He will forget all our sins. He will forget all your sins. What is that sin that you have been holding on to? God is saying, because you bring it to me, because you surrender, I forget all your sins. This new covenant makes the old covenant and all its implications, implications of curse, implications of death, implications of condemnation. It makes every one of those implications obsolete. It rendered them useless, obsolete. But for us, we must embrace the new covenant. How? By embracing Jesus and the finished works upon the cross of Calvary, which provokes a response from us. What's that response? The same response we talked about earlier. Acknowledgement. Lord, I've sinned. I'm nothing without you. Jesus, I accept you. And of course, you surrender to him. And of course, he will be your God and 
call this own. Praise the Lord. So I would like to pray with us right now, with a special group of people, before we go into questions. Of course, if you have questions, if you have any questions, send them in. But I want to pray with a special group of people. We've heard that your, your step is to acknowledge what Jesus did upon the cross of Calvary. That Jesus gave you the new covenant. And so God is your God. He's not looking to destroy you. He wants to be called your God. If you acknowledge, just surrender your heart to him today and, and just, just pray with me if you're that one. You are, you're tired of being outside. We want to invite you to come inside into a new covenant that is free from curse and condemnation and guilt and filth. You just want to say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because I know you stand at the door of my heart and you knock. Today I open up my heart. Come in and make your meal with me. Let my life be changed forever. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Okay. So if you have questions, I'm going to look out now for your questions. Please um, send them in. And um, on, the, on the platform you are watching from, just post the questions. And the online pastor there will invest your questions and will send to us. And um, we will um, answer them. Oh, we already have questions from, from Instagram. Okay. So if you have more questions, please do send them. Of course, we have Papi in the house. Welcome, Pa. Good evening, sir. Hi, good evening. Good to see you, sir. Good to be here. Yes, sir. Okay, so I have my own questions for you. Um, one question, I think, or questions as we go. But quickly, let me read out the question from Instagram. It says, if God doesn't see our sins because we are in Christ... What is therefore the effect of sin in the life of a Christian? So, can I leave that to you, Papi? No, go ahead. Let's just, leave it. Just teacher. <laughs> just teacher. So, it says if God doesn't see our sins because we are in Christ, what is therefore the effect of sin in the life of a Christian? The effect of sin, uh, like the, the word of the Lord says, that the wages of sin really is death. The wages of sin is death. But what, what we're saying here is that because of what Jesus has done, you no longer have to face death. Because when God sees that sin, if you are under the covenant, God sees the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He sees the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He doesn't see the sin. I'll give you an example. In Zechariah, um, Zechariah 1, um, the high priest at the time, um, Joshua, was standing and he says that... Um, the, 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 the devil stood there, Satan stood there to accuse him. And God could see, the devil could see all his field. God could see it as well. But God was saying, you know what? Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Why? Because I've taken, I've taken that man from the place of his fallen state. In fact, you know what? I don't want to see it anymore. Replace it. Give him something clean. Take away his, his, his uh, raiment. Take away his dirty, his dirty clothes so that I don't see because God cannot stand sin. And someone has to pay the price of that sin. So God redeemed Joshua himself. But the beautiful part of a Christian is that God, Jesus, has redeemed us as Christians. He has taken away our sins, washed by the blood of Jesus, so God doesn't see your sin. But like we said, it's not a caveat for you to say, you know what, I'll hit the road, like we use the pastor's analogy, for recklessness. 
It's not a caveat for you to go on a, a reckless binge of sinning. Because it says when you do that, guess what? You are crucifying Jesus over and over and over and over again. So as a Christian, God doesn't see your sins because you are in Christ. The effect of sin, that the wages of sin is death, what God sees is a purified child of God washed by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. But not a caveat for you to go on in a sinful way. I hope that answered your question. Papi, maybe you want to um, um, qualify it better? Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, that's fantastic. In addition to that, probably would say that um, the question is saying that it's, it's talking about ongoing sin, you know, and and the word of God also covers that in First John one, and it says that if we say we are without sin, we lie, and the truth is not in us. So God is saying that even as Christians, if you are saying now that I am the child of God, I am without sin. God is saying liar, liar. <laughs> And the truth is not in us. He says, but if we confess our sins, so that is the rule. There's, the, there's no role of sin, doesn't have a role in the life of the Christian. You know, so the, the question is, what's the role of sin in the life of the Sin doesn't have a role in the life of the Christian. However, so what's the effect? What's the effect is that when we have fellowship one with another, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So, like you said, God doesn't see the sins. When we confess them, God takes them away altogether. When we come, you know, there are certain things that we don't even consider a sin. Mm. That if you want to go by God's standard, God's standard, <laughs> there are certain things that you don't consider a sin. You know, for some people, when they, don't, when they check the big box, I don't, I've not lied today, I've not committed fornication, I've not stolen, I've not killed anybody. They think they are righteous. Mm. But when you come to God's presence, it is like filthy rags. It's, it's like stinking rags. So, you that you think you are righteous, and the person that you think has stolen, both of you need the blood of the Lamb. Both of you need the blood, the blood of the Lamb. So, for the believer to so maintain a place where you are contrite before God consistently. Look, you can't justify anything, have mercy upon me. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness and from all sins. And that is what it is. So much, sir. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, uh, I, I have a question while I'm waiting for more questions. Again, you still have an opportunity to send your questions and, and be answered. So, um, verse 11, I was a little bit um, careful not to, to, <laughs> to talk much on verse 11 because I had questions around there. I said, okay, when Papi comes, he'll be able to throw us more light. So, I'm going to read it to you, sir. It says, and they will not... Okay. Go ahead. Okay. It says, and they will not... But go ahead. Okay, sir. It says they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord for everyone from the least to the greatness, to the greatest will, will um, already know, know me. So I, I was thinking you can help me, sir, help us shed more, more light on, on this, you know? Because I, I don't know, does this speak to uh, the time we're in now? 
or a time to come because of course not everyone is at this place where they don't need to be taught anymore um if this is what he's saying why do we still have inspired teaching why are we wasting our time we thrive you know trying to dig into the the the, the word itself when um um, it says that nobody will need to teach uh, teachers. So I, I, I was hoping you would uh, be able to do justice to it, sir. Yes, so that is talking about um, knowledge of God. Hmm. Now, so it's saying that you will have accurate knowledge of God. Hmm. Now, it is it doesn't take away the place of teaching. And, and again, they apply to now, or does they apply to sometime in the future? I think it applies to now, you know? And there's a scripture in First John, First John chapter 2, verse 27, that says that, First John 2, 27, that says that, but you have received the Holy Spirit. You have received, it's not you will receive. You have received the Holy Spirit, and it lives within you. So you do not need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and what it teaches you is true. It is not a lie. So just as he has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. So does this mean that there's no place for teaching? Of course not. It means that you have the Holy Spirit that will shield you from error. That's what he's saying. You have the Holy Spirit that will shield you from error. You don't need any man misleading you or telling you this. The Holy Spirit will tell you what is true. So, when you hear a word, the Holy Spirit will confirm in you that that is correct. You need to make this adjustment. You need to make this growth. You need to move in this direction. Da, 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 da. There's someone that is um, pretty close to me that is reading a book. And the person, you're saying that, oh, this part of this book, I don't agree with it. And I was, I was excited. Why was I excited? I'm saying because I'm like, oh, this person is finally coming of age. Because the author of the book is a solid man of God, if you will. He went off. He was pushing his own experience as as doctrine, you know. So you know, sometimes God God takes people through personal things, then they now make it law. Hmm. So he was pushing his personal experience as law, and this person was saying to me, "Papi, I don't agree with this. What do you think?" And I was laughing. I said, "Why are you laughing? I'm laughing because I'm happy that you have grown up. I mean, <laughs> you you are not just swallowing everything like a sinker." You are in touch with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit teaches you all things. There's no conflict in that. Um, no. Wow. Thank you so much, sir. I wouldn't have thought about that. Um, I, I think I have a follow-up question to that. So, sir, do, I mean, if that's if we have time. I think we have time for more. Um, what we would say to people that now listen to quote-unquote, great men of God, people that have been on point before, and then they, they give a word or they listen to the person's teaching or they go for maybe a, 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 a conference or 
with the person and they come back and they take everything the person has said, hook, line, and sinker, and begin to rule their lives on those things. What would you say about that, sir? Because there are people that say, yeah, Pastor D said this. So because Pastor D said that, that's all that there is to it. So they, I mean, there's no other, there's nothing else you can say to them. So, yeah. Well, if the things the pastor is saying is, is consistent with the word of God, there's nothing wrong with it. However, I suspect that there are certain things that are off and these people are embracing it. Ukraine and sinker, correct? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's it's I mean that's the state of Christianity in in most parts of the world. I wouldn't even just say Africa, you know, where people don't know God for themselves and they need a mediator, they need um so they are kind of reenacting the old covenant because the people of Israel, they dare not argue with Moses. If Moses say, this is it, that is it, you know. But in the New Covenant, it's not that we have been told to argue with Moses or we have been told to be cantacross, but we are to rely on the spirit that is within us, the Holy Spirit that is within us. So, the converse to that or the, the, the follow-up to that, rather, would be those people that don't want to come to try, they don't want to listen to anybody, they don't want to fellowship, they just say, I'm, I hear from God, this is what God is telling me. And then, I thought that was what you were going to do. Nobody needs to teach me. God <laughs> <laughs> says nobody to teach me. That is, that is another extreme that is, that is obviously an error, because... You know, that's not what God is saying here. This wisdom they claim they have, put it to the test. The wisdom that is from above is first and foremost yeah. pure. Then it is what? Peaceable. Then it's easily entreated. Then if you see, if you follow all those criteria, you notice that this thing they are pushing has nothing to do with God. Absolutely nothing. So, that is the other extreme, you know, that we should stay off from. You know, why we are not on this extreme, on if you if you follow us, I always challenge you to read your Bible. I always challenge you to go back and study. I always give you more and say, look, go and check this out. Go and check that out. But unfortunately, people are just damn lazy. They don't want to do any spiritual work. So they'd rather go with someone that they claim they trust mm. that will give them crap and they can swallow it hook, line, and sinker and say, this, my man of God has said this, that is what it is. You know? So, yeah. Thank you. Uh, another question just came in. I think this would be the last question for time. Or if you have one, you can quickly send it. After that, I'm not sure we'll take any more. It says, um, from verse 10... Was the covenant replaced because the people were not faithful or the covenant was faulty? Verse 10 actually says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. On that day, I will put my laws on their mind. So I guess um, what this person was referring to was actually uh, verse 7 and 8, where God said, where um, Apollos was writing that, you know, the, the first and foremost, the covenant was faulty. If the covenant wasn't faultless, God wouldn't have... Um, 
created a second covenant. And verse 8 actually said, but when God found fault with the people, I mean, that's the first time I've actually seen that, when God found fault with the people. I just felt we were talking about fault uh, with the covenant as well, uh, uh, as um, all true. So um, in my attempt to answer that question, I would say if that's the verses you're talking about, yes, God found fault with the covenant itself, and God actually found fault with the people. Because God knew that that covenant was not saving them. It was not freeing them from curses. It wasn't freeing them. They, was, they were still had guilt. They had condemnation. They were still dealing with all those um, conscious things that were beyond the physical cleansing of sprinkling um, blood on, on them, blood of animals. And God also knew that by themselves, humans could not meet the terms of that covenant. So on both ends, God found a fault and God said, you know what? I'm going to give you something better. Give you a new covenant and, of course, give you a new heart to correspond. I mean, that's just so beautiful. You know, when I read it, I said, give me a new heart. A heart that is responsive. You know, I like the way it puts it in that living Bible. It says, I will give you new desires. New hearts and new desires. A heart that, you know, a spirit that makes it possible for you to obey um, those commands. So, yes, God found the covenant faulty and the people faulty. And he replaced um, he placed both faultiness of the heart by the Holy Spirit to tell you this is my way. Walking it when it's on left, walking it when it's on right. Hey, don't do that. But the question now, Papi, is that we, do we listen completely? <laughs> people, people will not totally listen. Some of us will still do what we want to do, and of course, we blame God. That is is the is the reason. I, I always say to the teenagers that I remember you saying that there was a lady that said to God, "If it's me." I would have answered you. <laughs> this, this prayer that you're praying, I would have answered you. You know, But in that case, what's the Holy Spirit saying to the person? The Holy Spirit is probably just saying to the person that just be patient. Trust me. But what the person is saying that, you know what, well, this doesn't correspond with the way I want it done. So <laughs> I, I need you to answer me the way I want you to answer me. Praise God. I hope that answers your question. Papi, can you, you want to you answer that, sir? Mm, yeah, I mean, it's pretty complete, you know. Um, in, in just maybe I would say that the covenant, the old covenant, which was based on the law, um, was what exposed the weakness in man. The law exposed the sin in man. So, yeah so but the law was was limited because that was all the law could do expose the sin mm. you know, the law could not help the man so the new covenant came and did not if you see jesus did not jesus came to fulfill the law so the law was fulfilled in him so we are not lawless now, but it is stop there. That which was exposed in us, it came to give us a new heart and it put a new spirit in us so that we are able to live, as it were, above the law, meaning not lawless, but function in a superior space than the law would provide. Amazing. I hope that helps. Thank you, sir. Okay. Yeah. Um, if there are no more questions uh, for time, we'll draw the curtains here. I will pray that as you continue to engage these um, scriptures, this book, 
the Holy Spirit himself would reveal to you. He would teach you Amen. in Jesus' name. Amen. Over to you, Pastor. Amen. Okay, thank you very much, Pastor Richard. Well done. And God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's let's pray as we round up the service. Father, we thank you. As we go, we ask that your presence will go with us. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you Amen. and give you peace. Amen. And so shall it be. Amen. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Amen. So, um, God's Forbid House, remember that this is a year of lifting. And we are lifted all the way. All the way. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you.